Bob and Jeremy's Conflab. The Reality Podcast. Good day to you. Thank you for pressing play. You're listening to Bob and Jeremy's Conflab, and I'm joined by Bobby, and both of us have slightly chillier surroundings. Well, yes, it's a very cold day today in Kent. What's it like in Bucks? Crispy, icy, frosty. We've Mm. had snow. We've had snow. Well, good for you. We've had no snow here at all. We've had a little bit of wind, but it is bitingly, or it's bitter out, you know, it's bitter. It's bitter out, as Frankie Howard used to say. But it's cosy indoors, thank God, uh, which makes it just about bearable. Are you scarf and glove clad yet? Oh, yes. You are? Oh, yes. Yes. No, I've got all, 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 definitely. Uh, I've got all that sort of stuff going on. New hat. And uh, I'm sure I don't want to shock the listeners, but I have actually been wearing long johns for the last two days, green long johns, which make me look a bit like the Riddler from um, Batman. Indoors or or only when you're going outdoors? Well, I had them on all the time because I'm going in and out all the time. You feel um, the cold that much? At my age, Jeremy, yes. And I know it's hard for you to understand this, but as you know, I, I have quite expensive socks, which keep me nice and warm and soft as well. And I also occasionally wear long johns. I haven't got long johns on today, by the way, but um, you know, it was a weekend thing. So maybe one thing I'm blessed with is an intense fire, Bob. You know, um, <laughs> High blood pressure. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, I'm boiling all the time, you know, sort of there's Tash mm. wearing full pyjamas as she sleeps. There's me just allowing my hirsuteness to get Ooh, me to a, sleep. What an enduring <laughs> what an image, image that is. Yeah, that yeah. is. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's delighted with that one, Jay. So let's talk about what we're going to go through today. This is, uh, where are we now? Coming towards the end of November in 2021. We're approaching the end of the year. I don't know where this year's gone. And last week, there was a series of, of government faux pas for various things, uh, various issues that they're dealing with. And at one point, our Prime Minister made a speech at the CBI, which is the Confederation of British Industry, quite an important organisation. Uh, lots and lots of business leaders from all over the country, they come together for a conference and various politicians turn up and talk about how they're going to be supporting business in the future. And our Prime Minister got up to speak and I think it's fair to say he made a bit of a pig's ear of the speech. He lost his way. He had a load of bits of paper. He completely you know, dried up from where he was. Uh, he was reading it from the paper as well, which is quite interesting. And he had about a 25-second hiatus where he was completely lost. And he also went off on a couple of tangents talking about Peppa Pig. Now, we are looking at this not as political commentators, although we would be interested in doing a podcast on that. We're going to look at it from the point of view of presentation skills, because Jeremy and I have been training presentation skills for over 20 years. And we've worked with lots and lots of senior people and more junior people when it comes to how to give a presentation. And this public humiliation gave us an opportunity to think, right, we really need to talk about this because there's some fundamentals here which would really help somebody in that situation. And also to make the point that many of us are nervous about giving presentations and public speeches. And when you see something like that, you think, oh, it makes you feel even worse about it. And I think there's a few important tips that if we get those across... I think, could stop other people being in the same situation. There was a, a fascinating survey. And in fact, we, when we do our presentation skills, we show a film of this, which is filmed in the late 1940s, that the number one fear in the United States 
post-war was to give a presentation, to be asked to speak at a luncheon club, to be asked to talk to a group of business people or a school. That was stronger than the fear of death. So pretty irrational there that you're more worried about being asked to give a speech than death. Now, let's go straight into preparation. So a lot of it's about preparation. Those of you who've got to give speeches, the reason why you don't like them and you don't commit to them is you, you don't prepare. So we're going to talk about preparation. We're going to talk about a number of things. But now let's just go back for listeners who have come from other countries. And thank you to those people listening in Malaysia. We seem to have had a little spike in Malaysia. Very interesting. These people were from the northeast of England, or a number of them were. That's where this speech was taking place. And as Bob just said, he talked about Peppa Pig, cartoon character, sells internationally. And Peppa Pig World is, I think somebody worked it out, would be a 15-hour round trip for a politician or, or someone living in the northeast to go there and back. So already you're picking an analogy or you're picking a topic that isn't really relevant to the situation. So that I'm going to kick off with sort of a thing that the Prime Minister has not done. If you consider, it's called the BDF formula, I think it's really handy. What are the beliefs of the audience that I'm going to be talking to? What do they actually desire? What do they want? And what are their feelings about the topics I may be addressing? So that is a simple thing all of you can do. You write down those three letters, B, D, F. What are their beliefs? What do they fundamentally think? What is it they desire from this meeting with me? And what are their feelings? So, Bob, what do you take from that? Well, I think the topic is one thing. And the way that the Prime Minister sort of meanders off piste is quite interesting. My general observation is that when he was younger, our Prime Minister was quite good at coming up with quips and witty stories and witty lines. And his style was to kind of say, well, I, I, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, um, um, and he would have this sort of thing while he was thinking of the witty riposte, he'd have 15 to 20 seconds of, of pausing before he actually got to it. I now think as he's getting older, he's nearly 60, I think he's, as many of us are as we get older, you slow down a little bit. And so your turn of phrase and your quick wit is not quite as quick as you perhaps thought it was. And so he's having to rely more and more on speeches. Now, this speech had been written for him, clearly, because it was all on bits of paper. And that's the first thing. He's the prime minister. He's not just a sales director for a medium-sized company. He's the prime minister of our country. Why didn't he have an auto cue? Why weren't the words on an invisible screen in front of him? It wouldn't have been that expensive to get that sorted out for the prime minister. I mean, that's the fundamental. But then there's something else. And Anne pointed this out to me. and It's just so odd. Why not staple the bits of paper together? Then you've got them in the right order. Yeah. What, what, what are we doing? Mm. We're giving him loose bits of paper. You're asking for trouble there. It's just so bizarre. And there must be somebody who's responsible for that, for making sure that he turns up with things in the right order, able to speak. Now, there's other things you could do. Jeremy and I have done many speeches over the years. In our pocket is a set of cards, okay? It's not complex. There's just a few bullet points of the areas we're going to be talking about. We've clearly rehearsed it in advance. But if the worst came to the worst and we suddenly thought, what's next? I've got a list of things in my pocket I can refer to. It's not that difficult. Where was the Prime Minister's? Just on that cards, when we saw Boris holding sheets of A4 white paper that the speech had been printed on and he shuffles them, that also sends a message to your audience. This is long and turgid. Mm. 
Whereas if you're holding cards and they're short, it looks like you are prepared, you are rehearsed. Now, even if you've managed to transpose onto the cards, I'm going to talk about this, I've got a Peppa Pig story, whatever it is, then you would just look down and you've practiced on the drive up there in the back of the car for him or on a train or wherever he gets to these places. You've actually practiced by looking and flipping through your cards rather than trying to read long form speech writing on sheets of A4. So if you're not in the habit of putting stuff onto little cards, get little cards and then you can use them once, draw a line, turn them over and you can use them all again. Definitely. Now, there is one big thing here which is so important. Boris Johnson has been making speeches all of his life. Ever since he was in the debate society at Oxford, he's been making speeches, okay? He's not unused to making speeches. He's also not unused to making speeches on the fly because he's often at the dispatch box defending various government actions, okay? In that situation where you're standing at a podium with no technical support, no slides, nothing there, just bits of paper, and you lose your way, surely, surely, you just put the paper to one side and just say, right, don't worry about that. The key points I want to make to you are this. And you just deliver a summary of what it is you want to talk about. But you also make some relevant, salient, witty points because you're used to that. It's kind of like having a backup speech in the back of your brain. So if anything goes wrong, you just deliver it, get people laughing, declare your support, you know, and try and enthuse people with a bit of inspiration. No, he stood there and said, forgive me, forgive me, which is, I think is one of the few times he's actually asked for forgiveness for some time, okay? <laughs> Making himself look foolish, okay? Now, most of the time people forgive things. I remember when poor Theresa May had a coughing fit in the middle of the speech and then all the signs behind her started to fall down. It was a car crash of a speech. Poor thing. And in the end, people kind of forgave her because nobody's perfect, okay? But I think sometimes when your integrity is in question and there's big things happening, you need to be able to be a little bit more confidence at winging it fantastic way to wing things is to know the three the power of three there's three salient points that you are going to address so if for example pepper pig analogy about schools and stuff was a major oh. thing which seemed to be the only thing he knew but it was completely you'd actually have really worked that out to be much more interesting mm. you'd have broadened about it apart from it just being attack about the bbc missing mm. it it was becoming a bit like alan partridge <laughs> You would also maybe have something about the difference between service-based businesses, home working and the growth and employment retention. You'd pick your three things and you'd say, there's lots of things I can talk about. And when you came to talk about and say, but I've really picked three core things, because as you sit there in your heads as an audience member, A, B, C, one, two, three, he talked about this, that and that. You can't really walk out there going there were 17 different things i got from that speech not a chance your own memory is going to be limited so prepare your speech with the three core things you're absolutely going to go into detail on hi i'm jeremy blake and i'm bob morell and if you like what we're talking about why don't you book us for your next managers conference get in touch at realitytraining.com I also think that there's something about the audience, and Jeremy's talked about uh, desires, feelings, beliefs, etc. I'm not sure he had really considered who was in that audience and what the kind of thing that they wanted to hear. 
And I remember uh, when the thing happened on that day, somebody tweeted a speech that Jeremy Corbyn had made a couple of years ago to the same conference. Now, whatever we think of Jeremy Corbyn, I'm not going to put any kind of uh, slant on political views here. But Jeremy Corbyn delivered an excellent speech to the CBI, was asked a very key question about innovation and investment, and he absolutely answered that question openly, honestly, and with a lot of integrity. Now, you look at that and you think, well, that's what people want to hear, okay? Whether or not they're going to support him or not is another matter, but that's what they want to hear. If you're the prime minister of the country and you deliver a speech which is underconfident, underprepared, poorly managed, poorly considered, where you go off on a tangent, which is the only thing people remember about that speech, by the way. The tangent of Peppa Pig is the only thing that's remembered that was nothing to do with his core messages. Then I think you really have lost a battle there. And that's a classic example of a poorly considered presentation. I've got one analogy to make here. Donald Trump, when he was president of the United States, also made a series of catastrophic, poorly prepared, poorly written, poorly rehearsed speeches, okay? And he was constantly ribbed and pilloried and people did massive Mickey takes out of him and Saturday Night Live did loads of impressions of him and he was constantly mimicked and he was huge entertainment value because he was so terrible at delivering these awful speeches. The reason I think that was is because he was too much of a narcissist to let people help him to prepare for them in advance. I think in this instance, I don't know who's around Boris Johnson, but nobody was helping him prepare for that speech in advance. And then bang, the car crash takes place. And I think what we need when it comes to presentations is you need to rehearse in front of someone who can give you an objective view. And most of us don't. Most of us, when we do a speech, the first time we look at it is when we're standing in front of an audience. And that's so important. And I think your analogy or your um, comparison is completely right to make. Trump didn't have anyone who had a high enough status to say, ooh, actually, mm. Mr. President, I'd leave that bit out. I don't think that will really sit well with that particular audience you're addressing. I don't think anyone has the status to say, Boris, it, that, that would be really mm. witty at a dinner party in your <laughs> garden in the summer with some yeah. of your mates. They'll absolutely crack up at your Picasso-inspired quip about her looking like a Picasso-drawn hairdryer. That shows that you understand a bit about art and, are, and it's great. But do it at a barbecue. Don't do it to a load of business people in the northeast of England who already feel that the funding doesn't really no. reach them. Um, ah. You know, and also yeah, when, when it, HS2, HS2 yeah. we should just say, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah so you're thinking, that's no longer continuing yeah. up to yeah. Leeds or wherever it was going. Um, was it? I finished going up to Leeds. That's right, that no longer. The no longer. Yeah. yeah, no longer. No longer. Yeah. Three it does three. remind me, I've recently read the autobiography of Winston Churchill by Andrew Roberts, which is outstanding. Um, and I know you have a copy of it as well, Jeremy. There's lots of great bits in that. And in it, there's an essay that uh, Churchill wrote about public speaking when he was very young, which is incredibly detailed about how you connect with the emotional, you know, the emotion of your audience and make sure that there's a connection there. I don't think Boris quite gets that, even though Churchill is his, uh, his idol. But I think the other thing about Churchill is there's lots of things which he said which are remembered. So you talked about dinner parties. There was one famous dinner party where Churchill had a few and uh, he's sitting around this table at number 10 and he was getting a bit slurred and one of the ladies there said, Mr. Churchill, I do believe you're drunk. And he said, Madam, I may very well be drunk, but in the morning I will be sober and you will still be ugly. 
which is incredibly yeah. insulting. But, but it's what you remember. It's, it's so insulting. Yeah. But he didn't say it no, publicly, he exactly. said it privately. Exactly. And that's that's the point. There's so many of those things, mm. you know, if I was, I think the same woman, the myth goes, when she re-met him, she thought she'd have another go at him. And she said, if I was married to you, I'd put poison in your tea. And he said, and if I was married to you, I'd drink it. <laughs> I think that might be an urban myth. There's another yeah. urban myth where he's, he's walking along the street with his wife and, uh, and there's a road oh, yeah. sweeper there. Lovely. And the wife goes up to him and speaks to the road sweeper and then walks away and comes along. No, for oh, a yes, long time. She right. speaks to the road sweeper for a good that's 15 right. and minutes. Then, then when he walks yeah. away, Winston says, who was that? And she says, oh, that was a, a young chap I I, uh, I saw a bit of before uh, I met you. And he said, well, just think, if, you, if you'd married him, you'd have been married to a sweeper. She said, no, no, if I'd married him, I'd have been married to a prime minister. Back to presentation skills. We're not going to go through a whole series of tips. But for those people, perhaps you want to say, actually, I will do a speech to mm, my yeah. team because they've really, really worked hard. Half of them have been at home. We've not come together. One way I can bring them together is to talk about what we've gone through and talk about the future. I'm actually going to do some planning on this. I'm going to look into how long the company's been going. I'm going to research individuals and talk about them and say things about them and what they've contributed to this year. What's the other theme? Talk about growth and customers. I'm going to talk about that. How can I research that as a topic and say something to all my people live, God willing, or on Zoom or Teams or WebEx or whatever it is you're using, why don't you actually do a speech? And then rather than just slagging off people like Boris who can't do speeches, you go through the process yourself. One of the reasons we sit here smugly, being able to attack him, is we're continually doing presentations. And so we think we have some right and position to actually comment on it. Whereas many people will comment on people's inability to do things, but never actually go through it themselves. So force yourself out of your comfort zone. And why don't you give an end of year speech? Now, some people will still be operating their businesses from home or working a lot from home, and they'll be having virtual events again this year. I know people are going to try and have physical events, but uh, with recent events taking place all over the world, that may change quite quickly. Even so, I think the art of public speaking has definitely taken a bit of a knock over the last few years. And I think it's time we re-engage with it because a good speech delivered well, with confidence, well-organized, well-structured, is empowering, is inspiring, is memorable. That's what people want. And I think there's something to be said for re-engaging with those skills. And um, that could be a really useful tool for you to have over the next 12 months. I think resources-wise, you don't have to pick politicians to always look up as far as on YouTube or when you're searching. You can look up certain great business people or great thinkers. And TEDx is not a bad resource, but be careful about some of the TEDx smaller events that still get airtime. Some of those are, I mean, they're great uh, writers, thinkers and so on, but not all of them are great speakers. There's a real mix. So do some research and why not pick a topic you like? So if you're interested in environmentalism, you can actually run the searches and look for somebody who gives a talk about something you're interested in. Then when you are listening to the speaker, at least their subject matter will appeal to you. So then you can properly critique them. Don't just click on and watch someone speaking about manufacturing or flooring when you're not interested in those subjects. So remember, you're going to present to people who should be interested in the topic that you're delivering, their future, their organization, their teamwork, the company they belong to and so on. So pick something to do your research on that appeals to you. I've got one more thing to say on this. I'm going to talk about Nadine Dorris, who was interviewed last week. 
as her job, she is the Secretary of State for Digital Culture and Media. And what she does, and this is a great lesson for anyone doing uh, presentations or live interviews, she speaks her mind. And sometimes that works quite well for her. And sometimes, like last week, it doesn't work very well for her at all. She was exposed as not knowing a number of facts about her job that most people in the world knew. And I think there's something to be said for if you don't know the answer to a question, it's actually much better to say, I'm not entirely sure on that. I'll come back to you on it and move on rather than making up some rubbish that exposes you as being flawed and foolish. And she did that awfully. Now, we've been training for years in presentations. If somebody asks you questions or poses something to you that you can't quite get your head around or can't answer fully, there's nothing wrong at all to say, I need to come back to you on that. Let's speak afterwards and deflect it because that's what a professional would do. And I think if you're used to speaking your mind, thinking, well, people like that, they like a straight talker. Yes, they do like a straight talker as long as you know what you're talking about. And perhaps one other thing to contend with, which stops people presenting, is they're worried about questions they may get that could be contentious, let's say. Now, when you're giving a speech, you're appealing to the whole audience. So if you get one heckler who goes, well, what about this? Or what about the fact that this has happened or something? Don't dismiss it, but simply say, I absolutely appreciate why you've raised that. And I can see why you have chosen to do it now. I would like to spend the time to talk to you directly about that. And I hope you appreciate that just you and I to have a conversation about this or what could even be slightly more isn't really the right place to do that now. You almost asked permission. Will you allow me to talk to you separately about that, please? And I can understand why you've raised it here because they've got a platform to go for you. Now, that may not happen, but I remember Andre Agassi when being asked, I understand that you're going out with Steffi Graf. And it was the first journalist to bring it up. And Agassi just said, I tell you what, why don't you ask me something that is your business? Which I absolutely love because, you know, ask me about tennis. You're a tennis journalist. That's none of your business. That's another route to take as well. So please practice what you preach and go and present. And I think actually you'll surprise yourselves and you may even realise that you're as a good a speaker, if not better, than the person currently running our fair land. See you on the next one. Bye for now. Bob and Jeremy's Conflab. The Reality Podcast.